This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 57 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined with Trent Head, uh, who's got a personal uh, story about his dad uh, that he's going to share. Trent, how are you? Hello, good. Thanks, Brendan. How are you? Yeah, good. So, have you been? Um, have you been in the health and safety industry for a while, or t- tell me a little bit about your background? Yeah, basically, I started off as a health and safety officer about five, six years ago yeah. uh, for a big company. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a bit of a fluke. My sister was working for the same company in a, in a different um, part of the company, and basically, um, yeah. It was who you knew, who you knew that got me in the door, and that's how it started for me. And did did you have any, I guess, uh, tertiary qualifications or anything like that? No, uh, no tertiary qualifications. I actually hated safety officers. I've been on the tools, you know, for twenty years. Um, you know, I didn't like safety, and it was one of those decisions where I wasn't really keen on it. But I thought I'll give it a go, and I yeah. ended up here yeah, where I am now. So you were saying you're on the tools. So you were a tradie, were you? What, what were you? What was your? What was your background? Yeah, part of my trade also moved on to laying pipes for um, another contractor and became a leading hand. I yeah. uh, worked on the railways as a welder for fifteen odd years. So a lot yeah. of tickets and a lot of uh, trades. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're in the industry surrounded by, I guess, health and safety training and compliance, and it's everywhere, really, isn't it? Yeah, but basically, yeah, on the other side of it. So, yeah, um, yeah. from a worker's perspective, um, yeah. that side of it. Yeah, so what what was the key difference, I guess, crossing the, you know, from being on the tools to essentially being in management or, you know, looking after other workers? Like, how was that, how was that transition for you? That transition was actually something which, you know, I believe now, which the company I'm working at now is the way we strengthen our relationship and, and promote safety. Um, a lot of a lot of safety professionals, you know, come from tertiary qualified uh, institutions without any uh, t- work experience on, on the tools, and yeah. they can't relate to workers. And that's sort of where the gap is. Workers yeah. workers who have been uh, on a trade for 20 years don't don't want to be told or don't want to um, engage with a, a 25 year old in a suit that's coming on to tell them how to do the job safely. Yeah. So it's basically yeah, an eye uh, opener into how we engage sa- with safety um, messages and, and processes. Yeah, I mean, that just makes total common sense to me that you'd, um, you know, that you've got to actually do the job or do the task to understand in some ways how to make it safe, safer. Like your background of being a tradie makes, means you got them, you got the people that you were trying to help. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I see it every day still, you know. We've got, uh, I work for a rigging company now, you know, a lot of high-risk work activity that we do. And we have a, a safety advisor coming on site and telling our guys, you know, how to do something safely with actually no no practical knowledge or experience. And that's yeah. sort of this is where I'm finding out yeah, the big gaps lie and why we are taking shortcuts and why people aren't complying or why workers aren't complying with safety systems um, because of that. Yeah. And so that so that you were saying that was five or six years ago that you you started sort of as in management. Um, then what? Then what happened? We 
it was a construction company. You, when you say T1, do you mean a T1 construction company that you're working for or? It was a mining company, but we were, they were transitioning over to construction, trying to get their foot in the door for uh, infrastructure works. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so, um, yeah, tell us about, you know, what the next step was because we you initially reached out, uh, uh, you know, you, you lost your dad. Um, do you want to tell us about what happened there and, and uh, you know, yeah, so I hadn't been in the role for too long and uh, I lost my dad. It was a Saturday morning at work. I was on, on the site and I got a phone call from my sister that my dad had um, lost his life in a work accident. Oh, um, God. Luckily, yeah, it was, it was devastating. You know, here I am um, taking on this role, you know, trying to, you know, injuries and fatalities and um, I actually lost my dad, you know, to a workplace accident. And l- luckily for me, I sort of had enough um, – time in the role to sort of understand uh, various legislation and uh, the obligations that employers have under the different legislation. So I basically, um, I went to where my dad had the accident and in summary, what happened, um, he basically, he was working for a rail company for Sydney Trains uh, and the rail company had breached every single fatigue management policy that they had. So every policy they had, the minimum 10 hours rest, uh, maximum 12, uh, maximum 100 hours in, in 12 days, uh, maximum 12 roster days on straight. They'd actually breached them all. He'd exceeded those and, and quite uh, severely. He, he was rostered on for 35 straight shifts. Um, so while he was at work, he was uh, instructed to, you know, to go collect the power out permit, which um, it's a bit of rail lingo here, but before the workers can start under the high voltage power lines, a, a power out permit permit holder is ultimately responsible to have the piece of paper in their hand that shows that the power has been isolated so the workers uh, are electrocuted. So as he's driving to collect that permit, there was a um, there was some changes to the actual operational schedule that day and my father was instructed to get up to meet a, a rail truck on the road. He was meant to flag down this rail truck to collect this permit. Uh, once again, they were running late, so things changed again. Um, and mind you, at this time, it's 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Dad had been awake for possibly 24 hours due to his uh, ro- rostering from the contract he was working for. Um, and a, a few minutes later, he was given another address to which he didn't know the actual location. He wasn't familiar with the area up in Newcastle. Uh, he drove to. He, he started driving. He hit a car coming in another direction, in the same direction on the freeway, and unfortunately lost his life. Um, when I turned up to the crash site a few hours later, once I was notified, um, given that uh, the role I was in, I had a, a, enough experience and enough knowledge to sort of gather a few uh, bits of evidence to do my own um, investigation. And after a few hours going through his phone and different records. Um, I sort of had findings that, you know, didn't look very good for the companies involved, Sydney Trains and Māori Civil and Rail, who he was contracted through. Um, and like I talked about before, he basically breached every fatigue policy they had available. He breached every uh, Sydney Trains fatigue policy. Um, so I reported to Safeway New South Wales what I'd found, and the response from Safeway New South Wales was basically, um, your father's responsible for managing his own fatigue. Uh, Okay, <laughs> even though even though he even though he was on work time doing work duties, 
Yeah, it was it was devast it was devastating that they came back. But like I said, I'm lucky I had enough experience uh, in my role at that time that I was able to call out the um, the safe work inspector and, and advise him that no, my father wasn't responsible for managing his own fatigue, um, as the PCBU was responsible to manage and implement their own safe management systems. Mm. To which he retracted that statement and um, sort of gave us a bit of an explanation, which you know, trying to cover up for what he just said. Um, was this was this all verbal or in writing, Trent? This was a verbal. This was very. This was a few weeks after. It was actually a case conference. My sisters were there. My mother was there. Um, and, and yeah, this is they, they tried to from day one. They were trying to you know just downplay the accident, like. Um, the reports, there's four or five different changes in different reports along the way which were updated and amended, you know, to basically downplay the severity of the accident. Originally, they tried to tell us that Dad was travelling to work, it wasn't in work time, and then when we provide the evidence to suggest that he was in work time, um, they turned around and it was just like, um, in my dealings with safe work uh, in the industry, normally safe work try and pick up on everything and even if you have an explanation and you're not complying, they'll still crack down on, on what you're explaining. But this is a, this is the only instance or circumstance where everything that I've suggested to them, they've tried to downplay it and, and minimise sort sort of the the issue and, and make out that it wasn't an issue and it was something else that wasn't related to a workplace um, mm. or operational um, issues. Because I mean, I, I'd agree with you. Like my my experience with uh, safe work is that they're very rigorous and. You know, particularly if there's an accident on site, it's like they're all over it straight away. So it seems a bit unusual that that this was the response you got. Yeah, definitely. So then they basically closed off the investigation, and and my family was devastated because, uh, look, we've just lost our father. You know, without warning, we're a very close family. Um, and you know, just one morning we all wake up and our, our father's taken away from us. Um, it, when he left for work too um, that night, the night before he had the accident, he was angry, he was tired because he hadn't had sleep because rostering. He finished his shift on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock and he had to drive to Newcastle that night at 10 o'clock. He went to his room for a few hours, but what we know now with fatigue and sleep patterns, the quality of his sleep that he went back to his room, whether he had any sleep or not, you know, he's unknown. Um, so he was angry, he basically had a little fight with my mum and sister before he left to, to go for the night. So their last memories of, you know, my dad aren't, aren't pleasant ones. It's, 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 it's quite devastating for, for, those, for my family members. Mm. Um, How old was your dad? My dad was 67 years old. Oh, okay, okay. And, I mean, he did he have training as well around fatigue management just as a, as a matter of interest or you, you're not sure? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I do know there's um, the investigations that came back, there's 10,000 10, pages in this investigation because there's so many. Um, the, I reported to the Royal Regulator and they, the Royal Regulator and they actually came back and they provided a report which is damning of multi-civil role and, and MC, uh, multi-civil role of the contractor in Sydney trains. It's actually very damning. And this report, uh, all of a sudden, you know, I, I couldn't get it at the start. Sydney trains tried every avenue they could not to provide it to me under freedom of information. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I went to ONRSR and they provided it. But in the month that my dad died, there were 60-plus workers, you know, breaching the fatigue, with some of those workers working, you know, up to um, 39 shifts straight. Wow. Uh, just a period he died. Um, the, the rail regulator actually gave MCR, um, Modest Hill and Rail, 
non-conformances. They had no safe management system to in place to manage fatigue. And they also hadn't trained their workers in the management fatigue. Um, and you did the question you asked was my dad trained? Uh, there was a training, like a, a training spreadsheet that they that MCR provided uh, safe work, which basically showed eight to eight or nine training modules, which weren't even opened by my father. Um, so to cut a long story short, no, dad wasn't trained um, yeah. as per MCR's own standards and um, as per the requirements under the contractual obligations from Sydney Trains and MCR, none of the uh, training had been provided um, by MCR to their workers or rail safe workers. And, and it sounds like there was no um, checks and balances to you know, make sure the contractor was doing the training that they needed to do. No, well, this is something else that came out in the ONRS report. They basically asked Sydney Trains to provide any evidence of any um, audits or um, information that a subcontractor, subcontractor had provided in relation to the fatigue, and, they, and Sydney Trains couldn't provide anything to the rail regulator. So in other words, in summary, Sydney Trains hadn't been managing any of their subcontractors from 2010 to 2017 in regards to management of fatigue. Hmm. So you say 2017, does that mean that uh, something kind of positive has come out of this, like things have changed or...? In a way, yes, but the negative that came out of it, I lost my father. So my dad died. Of course, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that for any moment, Trent. I was just, I was just trying to work out, like it just seemed. I can't, I can't fathom this sort of systemic failure, and I'm just trying to work out if anything's changed since then. Yeah, so that's in, in, I, I Sorry, I did get what you were saying in the question. So after my dad's act, which was at the end of 2017, uh, Māori Civil and Rail, the rail contra- contractor, they updated their whole system and um, spent uh, six to eight months making a compliance system with Sydney Trains contractual obligations. Um, and, and also what I've noticed working on the rail systems now is um, the contract as a managing uh, individual workers' fatigue. If you don't clock off, they're following up on it. So I do believe, even though I've been ignored by Sydney Trains and Safeway, because I've still been raising these issues with those organisations for years to come, it's something which I'll never give up and fight for. Yeah. Um, I think all workers, you know, have the right to be entitled to at least work as their safety management system requires them and not be forced into taking shortcuts. So... Um, the positives that I've come out, I've noticed on a lot of rail, like as I said, New South Wales um, transport jobs, if pe- workers that aren't signing out, they follow up with them. So I, I do believe some good has come out of it. Hmm. Um, what, why do you think that there was, like, this denial? Like, it, it seems like these uh, there was just utter denial that this had happened and it just seems like a real, like, why would they do that, do you think? I know you're still fighting fighting for it, but... I think well, what I think it is damning, and I think it's one of these um, it's one of these situations where just safe workers protected Sydney trains um, and the contract at MCR. It appears to me that MCR, and from what I've heard in the industry, modern civil rail is untouchable. Um, for some reason, MCR are protected species in Sydney trains. Um, even the fact that the director in 2017 of MCR, uh, Tory Lavelle, he was charged. Uh, and convicted in the district court for breaches under the New South Wales Fishery Act. Um, and this is something which I've raised with uh, the New South Wales government as well, the relevant ministers, and MCR is still getting awarded contracts. So uh, 
to tell you the truth, I, I don't know why MCR have been able to get away with this um, and not being held to account. But yeah, it's just like they just they changed their system, moved on, even with a convicted uh, criminal as a director. Um, yeah, they've still just been able to move on and go forward. Hmm. Is it a case of you know these companies are too big to fail? Have you heard you sort of heard that sometimes? You know when it's like some of the you know big business and they get a slap more or less just get a slap on the wrists and they make a few changes and then it's just business as usual. Yeah, I think I think that's a possibility, and also I think that there's probably no organisation that can sort of um, pick up and take the place of MCR if they were to finish up tomorrow. So I think it's more of an operational, it's more of a convenience. So they effectively supply workers as contractors into the rail system? Is that Am I getting that relationship correct? Yeah, along the lines, protection officers, welders, various truck and rail safety workers. Wow. How, how, many, um, how many staff is it? They've got a they've got a lot of staff. They've got two offices. Um, I would say somewhere between four and five hundred working per day, or in, in their prime, in their prime, probably four or five hundred per day. Yeah, yeah. And so you were saying that you're still trying to get justice. What are the what are the steps that you can? It sounds like you've raised it with lots of different stakeholders: the company itself, government, safe work. Um, Ministers, is is there some kind of, I don't know, legal avenue? I mean, it sounds expensive as well. Like it's expensive on your time, um, but also like if you want to pursue them legally, how do you actually do that? Is there any mechanism or? Well, at this stage with the... uh... I was just going to say, it sounds like you've got a lot of evidence as well to, you know, you've got the, the regulator report, you've got diary entries, all of that sort of thing to prove, you know, your dad was working and and not being trained yet. Yeah, with the, under the uh, WHS Act uh, 2011, um, the two years is passed for prosecution. So um, unfortunately, and this is something which I raised, so um, Safe Work at New South Wales had two years to prosecute MCR or Sydney Trains. But what Safe Work did failed to do was was keep me updated along the way. Uh, towards about two weeks before the end of the two-year period, we received a letter in the mail saying that they weren't going to prosecute um, because there was no findings of uh, operational fatigue that contributed to the accident, which I think is is laughable within itself. And uh, what I did, I raised with the ombudsman that the information hadn't been provided to me by SafeWork as they're required to uh, under their own uh, systems. Hmm. So the ombudsman investigated and came back and basically said that SafeWork provided information to me on four dates over the two-year period, and they didn't actually address my complaint, but they hmm. closed it off. So this is sort of what I'm dealing with hmm. um, every step of the way. It's just like, you know, one organisation is protecting the other organisation, um, and it's just like playing with different words or, you know, um, trying to find trying to find a leeway you know, like a, like a guilty lawyer, like a defence lawyer does for a criminal, you know, trying to find avenues in which they can um, explain themselves or justify what, what's happened instead of, you know, looking for the, an objective fact and finding the truth. Um, and this is what I've dealt with 
but to cut a long story short, it has been quite consuming of my time and, um, and, and emotionally, it's quite hard every time I talk about the death of my father and the circumstances surrounding it. It is quite hard and it is taxing on me. Um, but what I've found now, speaking to guys like yourself, and I, I post stuff and I send emails out, um, I've posted out this regulator report and there's been tens of thousands of views. Um, I've got a lot of support and a lot of people won't speak up and, and support me because they ultimately work for Sydney Trains. And as you know, in this day and age, if you, if you speak against an organisation that you work for, it's career suicide. Mm. Um, so there is a lot of uh, support that's not prepared to put their hand up. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I'm just going to keep putting this report out, keep speaking, keep doing my job, which I do in the health and safety uh, capacity, you know, keeping workers safe and hmm. um, doing more workers. Yeah, I mean, the, it's just like the system is so big and it's you've got to really raise your voice loud to be heard, it, it sounds like, like the, the bureaucracy of how all, the, all these organisations work when they're so big. Um, when there's a you know an incident, it sounds like they they don't really have a mechanism. They might have a mechanism on paper on how to deal with it, but the reality is, it's uh, it's it's a hard thing for them to deal with. Oh, definitely. And uh, the other example now is, is what's happening in Sydney with Sydney Trains. Um, New South Wales government's trying to make them sign off on a uh, a deal, which basically states that the uh, that the train workers can't identify uh, safety safety issues in the future. So this is something which the media isn't reporting as well. Um, you're only hearing one side of the story. Um, I and mean, this is a perfect example of what I have with my dad. The New South Wales government just wants to railroad the, the Sydney Trains workers and, uh, and silence them. You know, when they've, they've raised a safety issue, if, if these train drivers are raising a safety issue saying the trains are unsafe, it has to be fixed. You know, this is like, this is the concept of all our safety, why, why guys like myself and why these safety advisors, managers, directors uh, do their job because, you know, we want to try and eliminate all risks or, or minimise potential. Um, and here's a perfect example. They raise these risks with these trains and, you know, um, the New South Wales government just wants them to sign and get on with life. Do they have um, HSRs in Sydney trains? Like health and safety reps to, you know, bring these issues forward? I'm not sure to tell you the truth. I'm not sure. I'm not mm. sure, but I know um, I have heard on the radio the last couple of days, um, yeah, uh, like a couple of Sydney Trains employees ringing up on the radio and speaking. Um, yeah. But we're with contractors, so my dad was working for a contract of Sydney Trains, so and, and I've actually been a contract of Sydney Trains as well over my time when I worked on the rail. And contractors are seen as second-class citizens. Um, this is the other. The other thing that, you know, is happening on the side, if you're a contractor, you know, you're just treated very poorly. You're not treated like even a, a, a citizen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, it sounds um, very bureaucratic and, and complicated, particularly, you know, for, like for yourself as an individual with your family and you're trying to, trying to get the issue raised and it sounds like you've been roadblocked a lot. Yeah, I've been roadblocked a lot, and I'm not going to say it's it's been it hasn't been hard, but um, as I said to you, I've seen a few things working back on uh, New South Wales government sites that, even though I've been pestering whoever will listen to in the government with or Sydney Trains with this information and with what I'm trying to present, um, they must be listening because I know I've noticed um, through being on those sites a few changes that have occurred. Um, 
that wouldn't have been there prior to 2017. Yep. And so, um, what uh, what what's the what what are you looking to do from here, Trent? Are you going to keep keep up the fight or keep chipping away at it? It sounds like. Yeah, definitely. I'm just going to keep trying to expose MCR because another couple of things that I didn't mention at the start. When, when my dad died too, MCR, one of the directors, turned up on my mum's doorstep, you know, and, and argued with her about whose fault it was that dad had the accident. Um, so my, just, my mum's just found out, you know, that she lost her husband over 40-odd years, and um, the next thing the MCR director turns up on the doorstep and starts an argument about whose fault the accident was. Wow. Um, yeah, there was a, a lot of things. Um, a lot of not, things are the same. Not much empathy there, far out. And no, my mother's living room was filled up with flowers, but no, no flowers from Sydney Trains or MCR. Um, when we tried to get information on Sydney Trains, just like ignored our emails. Um, or they came back, you know, and said they didn't have that information available. Yeah, it's uh, it's an unbelievable story. I mean, believable story, Trent, but got unbelievable situation that you you and your family have had to go through. Yeah, and working in working in a. a as a safety professional, you know, I walk in, when I walk into a job and you see all these safety management systems and sometimes I have to laugh to myself because here's Sydney Trains, they have hundreds of pages of safety management systems and policies and procedures and here's a perfect example where none of it was complied with and everyone just moved on with their life except for us because we didn't have a father. So yeah. this is... It's, it's um it's unbelievable that what has happened to my family and as I said I'm just going to keep letting I, I do toolboxes I've spoken to probably hundreds of people doing a like a toolbox talk on this issue um just keep the awareness up and and try and help workers individually as much as I can let them know what actually happens you know if you do have an accident where you actually stand yeah yeah that's awesome so um we've come to the end of the podcast Trent if people want to um connect with you um would linkedin be the best uh spot or what, what would you suggest yeah sure uh, yeah send me a message on linkedin for sure yeah all right so that's uh trent head and you're sydney based obviously sydney based yeah that's right yeah well thanks very much trent i really appreciate you um sharing the the story with us and the listeners and and hopefully, I don't know, I find with these podcasts it can, you know, if it makes one little change somewhere along the way and you don't know where that may be, it's, um, you know, it, it's 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 a really positive thing. Sure. Hopefully hopefully I can touch a few more workers and they can understand, you know, how important it is, you know, to go home to their families. Yeah, 100%. Okay, Trent, thank you. Thank you, Brendan, for your time. See you, mate. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.